Sunday, uh, we uh, began through uh, the next text in the book of Galatians. We began the first text in the book of Galatians, and uh, today we'll be looking at uh, verses 6 through 9 of chapter 1. So if you have a Bible, turn with me there, and if you don't, there should be a blue one underneath the seat in front of you. And on those, in those Bibles, we'll be on page 565, page 565. Um, the backstory to Galatians is that the Apostle Paul, uh, who was one of the greatest missionaries the world has ever known, had traveled to a region of the world known as Galatia. You'll see here on the screens behind me uh, a map. And the middle region there is Galatia. It's kind of a greenish color. Um, the cities towards the bottom of that green area, uh, Derby, Iconium, Lystra, and Antioch and Poseidon, are the cities that the book of Galatia were written to. Specifically, the churches in those cities is who he was writing back to. These churches started off great. If you want to read about that, look at Acts chapter 13 and 14 later today. Paul had come there with the good news of Christ, and God had opened people's hearts. Many believed. The churches were planted. Great things were happening, and then he moved on to the next town. But great beginnings never guarantee future successes. Both individuals and churches can go off course, and that can happen rather quickly. And it seems that that's what happened to these churches in Galatia. It could certainly happen to us if we either individually or collectively fail to continue to rest in the grace that is ours in Christ and go off the rails by adding to or taking from the gospel of grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, then we too can end up as these Galatian churches were. Today we'll learn more about that, this occasion for the book of Galatians. And frankly, this won't be a feel-good sermon. It's going to be rather heavy. So in Galatians 1, 6 through 9, as we'll read in a moment, we'll find some of the strongest words of rebuke in the entire Bible. I hope that you'll hear God's kindness, though, through the sternness that is present uh, in these words, because the controversy that Paul sought to address in Galatia is the same controversy that we can face today. There are opportunities all around for us as a church to be adding to or taking from the biblical gospel. And therefore, this is an ever-fitting message. In just a second, we'll see exactly what their error was. But before we get to that, I think it might be helpful to take just a moment and speak to those of you who are here in the room this morning who are not followers of Christ. You wouldn't claim to know Jesus or to be a part of this church, we want to say to you first, thanks for being here. It's uh, such a gift that each week there are people here who are still considering whether or not you're going to put your trust and belief in the God of the Bible. So thank you for considering Him and being here with us. But second, I would want to say to you, uh, don't let this be the last time you're here. Not every uh, passage in the Bible and not every sermon feel like a kick in the throat like this one does. Uh, I promise next week will be a bit easier. 
But as you listen today, consider yourself to be sort of like at a sporting event sitting on the front row and overhearing what's happening as the team huddles up and the coach encourages the teammates on what they're to be thinking and doing. If you've ever done that, then you know you hear some things that are interesting and perhaps anecdotally helpful, but they're not directly addressed to you because the coach is talking to the team. And in this text today, the Apostle Paul is very much speaking to those who are already Christians, who are already part of these churches in Galatia. If you're still considering the claims of Christ and you're not so sure about all this church stuff, then let this passage help you to understand what it is that Christians hold most dear. It's something we call the gospel. And yet, don't hear in this text the rebuke to be aimed at you. It's not. The stern words present in this passage are directed to those who are already in the churches of Christ. So with that in mind, Jenny is going to come read for us from uh, Galatians 1, and she will read 6 to 9. She could read it in Spanish or in English. Which one would you prefer? English. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe English. (laughs) Galatians 1, 6 to 9. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one who preached to you, let him be accursed. As we we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let, let him be accursed. Thank you. She does better in her second language than I do in my first. Great job, sister. Thank you so much. If you haven't gotten to know Jenny and Hamilton yet, um, Hamilton, would you raise your hand, brother? Um, Hamilton and Jenny are from Peru. They're, he's here working on a PhD, and they're both additionally going to seminary. They want to go back to Peru equipped to help the churches there. So we sure love you, and thank you for all the contribution you make here to the body. Uh, this text, these few verses that we're going to cover this morning, can, if we follow them closely, can clearly break down into sort of three movements. There's, there's first Paul's wonder, his astonishment. And then he sort of lets us in on the essential gospel word, the thing he's so concerned about. And then finally, he ends with what can only be called a warning. There's a very, very heavy warning. So what we'll do this morning is we'll just walk through each of those together. First, let's look at the the wonder that Paul brings up in verse 6. If you're new to the scriptures, the apostle Paul was a missionary in the first century, and He was also an apostle. He was one sent by Jesus with a special message to share in order to create churches as people came to know the Lord, their Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. 
And Paul additionally wrote 13 of the 27 books that are in the New Testament. In every other letter except Galatians, so the other 12 that he wrote, there's always the same movement in the letter. They start with a greeting, and then they move into a word of thanksgiving, encouragement, praise, blessing. And then you go into the body of the letter. But as you look here in Galatians, you see that that's not the case. That's only true in Galatians. In Galatians, Paul essentially says, Hi, and then I gotta kick you in your face. Now, why is he so bold and combative here in the beginning? Well, that's an important question because it shows us how this letter is distinct from everything else that Paul wrote. Here in Galatians, Paul goes from greeting to rebuking. And here's why. Friends, if a church loses hold of the message of the gospel of grace, then there's nothing left to commend. You see, the church at its heart is a people gathered around the grace of God offered in Christ. And if we release our hold on the grace of Christ, then we have lost everything. And it seems these churches in Galatia and those four cities we mentioned were in the process of doing just that. And so Paul, as he thought about them and their status and where they were, he had nothing nice to say. He was astonished. He was full of extraordinary concern. Those of you uh, who are NBA fans, if we go back to that coaching analogy we used in the beginning, you'll know that this is the saddest part of the year. There's these few months where there's no basketball to watch, but it's going to be over soon. And think back with me to two years ago when Gordon Hayward was playing his first game as a Boston Celtic. A few of you who remember, your face, your faces are cringing. Uh, Hayward went up for a rebound, came down on his leg, and his leg literally from just below the knee down went that way. And his ankle also was dislocated, so it was hanging there. So his top part of his leg is going down, the rest of his leg is going that way, and his foot is just dangling. Um, I get a little bit of vomit in the back of my throat just thinking about it. It was horrendous. And something happened on the court I've never seen in any other sporting event ever. Everybody turned away. They, they literally grimaced. There was a collective agony, and nobody could look. They were astonished that someone could have an injury so bad that their leg literally went the opposite way. That that astonishment and agony is what Paul felt about the churches in Galatia. Their spiritual legs, if you will, were breaking. They were going in the wrong direction. That's what that word in verse 6, deserting, means. They were turning from. They were going the wrong way. Now, deserting what, you might ask? 
Well, if you look closely at the verse, you'll see that this desertion wasn't principally a what, but a who. And herein lies one of the most important lessons we'll learn the entire fall as we work our way through this great little book. Friends, to turn away from the gospel is to turn away from God. If you look at the pronoun in verse 6, it says, so quickly deserting Him. That Him is God. To turn away from the gospel of grace in Jesus Christ is not merely to turn away from an idea about God. It is to turn away from God Himself. See, you can't change the gospel and keep God. It's impossible. The two simply do not go together. Friends, God has a plan, and He has created that one plan, that one strategy to rescue people from the evil within them and the present evil age all around us. And as we saw last week in verse 4, this gospel is the message that the Lord has gave, given Himself for our sins to deliver us. Any fidgeting with that essential gospel message, either by adding to it or taking from it, is to be in the process of leaving God. The gospel of grace is the exclusive good news of what God has done in Christ. And there is to be no tampering with it. In the Old Testament, those of you who have some familiarity with it, think back with me to that second book of the Bible in Exodus, where Moses is coming down from Mount Sinai. He's coming down with the tablets of the Ten Commandments that God had given his people to be marked off as the ones who he had rescued. And yet, as Moses got to the bottom, he found the people not worshiping God, but they had built a golden statue, and they were worshiping it. And the Lord told Moses in Exodus 32, quote, they have turned aside quickly, end quote. These Israelites had been on the heels of being rescued out of Egypt. God miraculously led them through the Red Sea, and he was literally day by day by day sustaining them in the harsh desert. And these weren't things that merely they learned from their grandparents who passed them on to their parents, and now they're hearing about it generations later. No, these were people who literally were alive and had experienced these amazing deliverances by God. And yet so quickly, they had walked away. The the memories of God's gracious and powerful care weren't distant. And yet they were already turning away from God. I think it's very likely the reason that Paul wrote to the Galatians, you are deserting him so quickly. Because he had that very incident in mind. You see, they were making the same mistake. The Galatians were too 
wandering away. Church, we ought not go the way of the Israelites in the Old Testament or the Galatians in the New. Because we ought ever have in mind what God has done for us. Do you see it there in verse 6? It says that God called you in the grace of Christ. What a miraculous and precious truth that is. Now this phrase, calling, tends to get thrown around loosely today. So I just want to press in on you what it actually means. This doesn't mean, of course, that God used to call you on your cell phone, to quote that song. It, it doesn't mean that God merely offers the gospel in a general way to all people, although that's true. It doesn't mean that God commands every person everywhere to repent and turn to Him, although that's also true. It doesn't mean that God has some individual special call that you have to play hide-and-seek to find it in order to know what you're, where you're supposed to live or who you're supposed to marry or where you're supposed to work. Although God does have a providential will for each of us, none of those are what the word calling here is referring to. This calling is the electing, sovereign, effectual Romans 8 call. The call of God unto salvation. The call of God that's guaranteed to work. The call of God that begins with His reaching, initiating love and our simple receiving of what He has already done for us in Christ. It's God awakening spiritually dead people who bring nothing to the table of being right with Him except sin. And He brings everything else. Christians, it's God's initiating call that we simply receive. If you look under the hood of salvation, then this is how grace works. This is what makes the engine go. You see, the gospel is the good news of what God has already done. It's the calling that we receive into union with the Lord Jesus Christ, in which we receive grace and mercy and love and forgiveness. Not because we earned it, but because God has given it based on what Jesus has done. This is the gospel that the Galatians were turning from. It is the gospel, friend, that it is so easy for us to turn from. They were heading down a path of believing that salvation is achieved. But what's ever true is that salvation is not achieved, it is received. Now let's look on from the wonder that Paul here explains to the word that he so carefully articulates. Think carefully with me about that word in verse 7. It's the word gospel. Brothers and sisters, there is only one word we need in order to be made right with God. and That word is gospel. It's the good news, not of what we need to do, 
but of what Jesus has already done. It's easy to come accustomed to that word. Would you imagine with me back to what we read about in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? That day outside the city of Jerusalem in the year 33, Let your mind wander back to what you know occurred. Jesus' body had been pummeled nearly beyond recognition. He had carried his cross part of the way and another man finished it. He's been nailed to a tree, hoisted into the air. And there he hung naked as the object of scorn. This Jesus bore on himself the wrath of God because all the sin of everyone who would ever be called by God to Christ was placed on him. He's dying there not because he deserved it, but because he substituted himself. He's held there to that tree by a love that we will never look deep enough into to see the bottom. It's an infinity of grace and love and mercy and kindness. And then hear his gospel word. Jesus, as he hung, the gospels tell us, gave a few final words in agony. Do you remember them? He said, it is finished. That's the gospel. Friend, these false teachers had come to Galatia and the message they were proclaiming is not, it is finished. They were changing Jesus' words to I did my part. My part's finished. Now you do yours. And friend, that is not the gospel. That is an anti-gospel. Because Jesus didn't say, my part's done. You add yours. And yet that's the word that these Galatians were receiving. They were hearing that Jesus' death was not enough. You must add your good works because his death was insufficient. If you add your part, that will be sufficient. Friends, anytime anybody says, Jesus gave his life, yes, that's great, but you must add your own merit, then they are tweaking with the gospel in such a way that it is no longer good news because you can never do enough to somehow earn that status. Notice in verse 7 carefully there that it says what the gospel, who the gospel rather, was being obscured by. It says there are some who want to trouble you. Apparently, not long after 
Paul had left each of those four cities of Galatia and gone on to start new churches in new places, other people came in behind him with something that we today might call alternate facts. These teachers were almost certainly Jews who had traveled from Jerusalem and who were going behind Paul from city to city to city claiming that Paul had part of it right. Yeah, he's, he's an eloquent preacher and God's clearly working through him, but he doesn't have the whole message. You see, yes, the gospel is Jesus died for your sins. And yet, you still have to keep the Old Testament ceremonial laws and customs and habits. Specifically, circumcision. Because it's not actually the gospel that makes you right with God. It is the gospel plus good works then you have salvation and are part of the people of God. Again, to make that so crystal clear, because we're going to need it over and over and over again to understand this book, these false teachers' idea, their teaching was that Paul's gospel was deficient. That the real truth is Jesus plus good works equal salvation. Friends, this is a false gospel because Jesus plus anything equals nothing. The gospel word is that there is only one way to be right with him. And it is a word to be received, not to be achieved. Church, we must watch out for modern heretical false teaching. And it took me a long time to understand this. But very often, the most potent false teaching is not, this is the gospel, and I'm going to teach you something that way, completely different. Very often, the the false teaching of the gospel is actually, this is the gospel of the grace of God offered us in Christ. And the false teaching is just a click or two off. It is using the same terminology, but gutting it of the real meaning. That's what makes false teaching so hard to dissect, so hard to hear. Because so often the word gospel, the word grace, the word truth, the word Bible, the word Jesus are used, but actually something very, very different are meant. I love the way the late John Stott, one of the great theologians of the last hundred years, put it. He said, the church's greatest troublemakers now as then are not those outside who oppose ridicule and persecute it, but those inside who try to change the gospel. It is they who trouble the church. Friend, there is so much wisdom in that statement. Tempe's greatest problem 
in terms of the spiritual truths, quote-unquote, being offered are not those groups that don't claim to be Christians who are teaching false ideas, although they are there. The greatest enemy to the truth of Christ being heard in Tempe, Arizona, are the churches in which they use those words, Jesus, gospel, and Bible, but actually mean something very different. The trouble comes from within. You see, these false teachers in Galatia were not claiming not to follow Jesus. They were claiming they actually had the better word about Jesus. But there's only one word about how to be right with God. That word is the gospel. The gospel of grace. Christian, remember that you are at peace with God, not by a commingling of your works and God's grace, but only of God's grace. Salvation, we might say, is the greatest hit on the spiritual billboard of grace. And there is only one song on the list. It's the message of grace. So listen to it ringing in our ears. It's the message that we are sinners and that God is holy and that His holiness means we are separated from Him, apart from Him. That our sin has done that. And that all people everywhere as a result are worthy recipients of God's judgment. Without grace and without a substitutionary sacrifice, there is no way out of this condemning dilemma. And yet, the truth, the melody of the gospel is that God himself left heaven, became a man, lived a perfect life, died a sinner's death, and rose again in victory. This gospel, brothers and sisters, is that Jesus' death counts as our death, and that his life has been given to us. If you've been a Christian a while, it is so easy to grow accustomed to these scandalous, marvelous spiritual truths. But would you hear them afresh and anew today? That the gospel is received, not achieved. And to put it more personally, Christian, God loves you. Every ounce of condemnation that you rightly deserve to drink has already been drunk by Jesus Christ. God has nothing in terms of your eternal state before him but goodwill, favor, love. Irrespective of what you've done or haven't done in the last seven days, God is not wringing his hands, shaking his head, and saying, what am I going to do with you? Friend, he is full of love. Not because he didn't see or doesn't know, but because it's all been dealt with at the cross. And the fuel for obeying him in the coming week is not your self-effort. It is the very life of God that is yours in Christ.
This is the gospel. This news has literally transformed lives. Billions of them ever since it began to be preached. One of the people we'll be talking about off and on as we work our way through Galatians was a priest in the 1500s named Martin Luther. Martin Luther was a man who did everything his church taught him to do to be right with God. And yet he found none of it to work. None of it satisfied his conscience and his sense of guilt before God. Even though he had climbed to the heights of what then was believed to be necessary to accomplish, to merit right relationship with God. And one day, this man, Martin, was reading the book of Romans. And he came to what is now rightly understood again to be the gospel of grace. That God's righteousness is revealed from faith, not from our merit. And it transformed his life. Later, years later, Paul was, uh, sorry, Martin was teaching through the book of Galatians. And he said these words, For the one doctrine I have supremely at heart is that of faith in Christ, from whom, through whom, and unto whom all my thinking flows back and forth day and night. Friend, is that true of you? That the one thing that captures your thinking and through whom everything else flows is of faith. That the gospel is not the news of what you do for God, but what God has done in grace for you in Christ. And the simple trust, the faith in that message is what everything else flows from? Or have you been troubled by a different gospel? Christian, if you know internally that you have been, you trusted Christ in the beginning, but now you've been living as though you must somehow earn that status with Him, then won't you come back to what Martin saw? Won't you come back to what Paul saw? That we are made right with God only by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. This is the word of the gospel. Now finally, let's consider the warning that Paul put forth in verses 8 and 9. This is the toughest part of our text for today. As you glance back over there, over those two verses with your eyes, you'll see that so serious and final is God's word in the gospel that Paul has the strongest possible warning in these two verses. First, in verse 8, he gives what is a hypothetical. He says, if, if we, notice the we would include him. Paul's point is, if if I or Peter or James or John or any other apostle come to you and claim or 
even beyond us, if an angelic being came and preached a message that adds to or takes from the gospel, the end of verse 8 says, let him be accursed. Frankly, I think this is perhaps something those of us in the room, particularly who are young Christians, have never heard. This doesn't hit us as something we're accustomed to. And yet it's right here in our Bibles. To be accursed is to be devoted by God to destruction. The word has roots back in the Old Testament. It's to be put under a ban. It's to be given over to endless punishment. But as we move from verse 8 to verse 9, we'll see that this hypothetical in verse 8 has given way to what's actual in verse 9. Paul's saying this, this isn't merely theoretical. This is actually going on in Galatia. There were people there who were preaching a gospel against the true authorized Jesus-commissioned gospel of grace. But in perhaps what's the most surprising thing in the entire book of Galatians, this harsh word from Paul isn't actually given to the false teachers. It's given to the churches. The churches had tolerated false teachers. The the members of these four churches of Galatia had given the platform and handed a mic and given time to people who were preaching a theologically ridiculous message. And when it comes to false teaching, brothers and sisters, churches must not allow that. This is why, incidentally, church, that our, our bylaws, one of our governing documents, teaches that if an elder fails by preaching a false gospel and does not repent, and the other elders won't deal with him, then it becomes your responsibility to run him off. Because ultimately, the essential doctrinal message of the church, it's Resting authority to make sure the body continues to preach it resides not merely in me or the other elders, but in you. Paul held the Galatians accountable and responsible for permitting this false teaching to go on. Church, we must not desert God and His gospel of grace nor tolerate false teachers who do. No pastor who teaches God's grace can be achieved, nor who teaches what's more common today, that you can have a kind of fluffy, loving Jesus and be right with God without 
a king and Lord who demands allegiance and all obedience and submission. In other words, no teacher, who, no preacher who says uh, it's more than the gospel of grace to merit right relationship with God or it's less than Jesus as Savior and Lord to get God's grace should be tolerated. Let him be accursed. Now, if you, like, frankly, me, have a little bit of churning in your stomach as you think about this, this is hard to receive. Then it's helpful to ask, why is the reaction to false teaching so severe? Why is this such a harsh word from Paul? Well, friends, it's because any gospel masquerading as Christianity isn't a gospel. It is rather a damning lie. It is as though these false teachers came into town and rolled out the red carpet on the way to hell and said that is the way to being made right with God. It's a sham. It's phony. It's damning. It's a lie. There are appropriate, severe consequences for false teachers. Paul has in his mind here not merely an individual church member who is confused. He's talking about people who are aiming to persuade others of what they know to be wrong. Look closely at verse 7. It says there that there are those who want to distort the gospel. See, these aren't people who are rather uncertain. They're not pastors with good motives who just are mixed up on a few things. They aren't young people who simply don't know any better. Now, in Galatia, these false teachers were deliberately, consciously perverting the gospel to suit their own ends. Any pastor or leader who wills himself to change what is clearly revealed in God's Word is accursed by God and should be. Now, maybe an analogy would help. Imagine with me you've come down with a very severe infection, and it's not the first time. You've had it before. So do you go to your doctor who's helped you in the past, and your doctor looks and says, yep, that's disgusting. You're going to die if we don't get you the antibiotic. Now, you've taken it before. You know You've got to follow these procedures, take this exactly at the right time, and you're going to get better. This antibiotic, this miracle pill will fix this infection. So the doctor goes to leave and comes back with what appears to you to be the, the exact same kind of bottle with the exact same looking pill. And yet that doctor, while that doctor was away with the help of a pharmacist, had actually not given you the same antibiotic, but had mixed that antibiotic with potassium chloride. Potassium chloride is one of the ingredients in the cocktail used to give lethal injections. And so you don't take that and make it through. Now, what would we do 
to a doctor who did that. Well, that doctor ought to lose their license to practice and to get his or her tail thrown in jail. And no one would be saying, that's too harsh. Friends, false preachers are messing with the pill of the gospel of grace. and ought to be treated no less severely. Please, please, please pray for your pastors that we would hold faithfully to the gospel. And if we ever don't and do not repent, then get rid of us and find people who will. All of us must learn to be so discerning about the teaching we hear Brothers and sisters, whether that's in this room or through your phone or in the books you read, we live in a time in which there, by God's grace, there are a massive amount of tremendous materials to consume and help us grow up in Christ. We also live in a time in which false teaching has never been so easily propagated. May we help each other look deeper and deeper into the gospel of Jesus Christ, that increasingly when we hear the wrong thing, I don't mean little nits in theology, but the very heart of the gospel, when we hear the wrong thing, may we help each other run that we might continue to walk faithfully in this road of grace and truth. Friend, if you are here this morning and you've never trusted Christ, understand the essential message of the church, of every true church, is not God did your part, his part, now you do yours. It is God knows you fully and completely, and yet Christ died and rose again. His death can be your death. His life can be your life if you but turn from sin and turn to Him. This is the gospel of grace. Won't you do it? Won't you receive Him? Let's pray.